Every week we gather, we know the first thing we do is declare who we are and who I am. These two declarations come directly from Peter. They are, in every beautiful way, uh, a, a cap, they capture in every beautiful way the heart, the purpose, and the identity of the church. Um, and so we always want to make sure that as we are invited into different identities through the week, different understandings of who we are in the week, that we come together on a Sunday and we remember who I am and who we are, and then we move into our rule of life. And for those who don't know, the rule of life is a summation of the over 54 one another commands in scriptures. So we will begin with who I am. I am I'm God's, God's chosen, chosen beloved. I am a member of God's royal priesthood. I am a citizen of God's holy nation. I am God's possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then we have the who we are, the communal identity of the who I am. We are chosen descendants, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And beloved, we uh, always, always, always recite our rule of life together. These quick five things that we say every week that remind us how we are to be with one another. So if you will, join me in our rule of life. Love one another for God's sake. Guard one another's backs. Protect one another's kingdom values. Believe one another's motives. And sing one another's praises. All right, beloved. Speaking of singing, y'all ready to sing to the Lord this morning? All right, now, here we go. Yeah. 
So if you're here and you're cold, that is better than the alternative if we did not turn the AC up because our AC is still broken. So hence the extra AC here and the AC you feel and the need to tune a guitar in the middle of a worship service. Amen. All right. Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt and to know you is to love you and to know so little else i need you oh how i need you
light I will go where you shine Break the dawn, crack the skies Make the way bright before me In your light I will find All I need, all I need is you <laughs> Light, glorious light I will go where you shine Break the dawn, crack the skies Make the way bright before me In your light I will find all I need, all I need is you. Oh, how I need 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 you. It's uh, time for our confession. Latanya, if, if you're going to read, come on up. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to read, and then you can follow behind me where it says people. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. We, we must, must all be quick to listen, listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humble accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't, don't just, just listen, listen to God's, God's word. word. We, we must do what it says. Otherwise, we are only fooling ourselves. For if you listen to the word of word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that liberates you, and if you don't do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If we claim to be religious, but don't control our tongues, we are fooling ourselves, and our religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Rest is our weapon, joy is our strength. We wait upon the Lord and find strength to spread our wings and fly. Big idea time. Kids, age four through fifth grade, please join me. We're going to have a good time today. Good morning. Are you ready? Church, this is something we do with the kids, not just for the kids, right? We, we participate in this together. So you might have a role today. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. All right. Welcome. Hi. I'm Garrett. Nice to see you. It's been a while since I've been here in this little spot talking to you. It's been a while, so every once in a while, uh, me and Aaron now are going to share the big idea sometimes, so I'm going to do big ideas sometimes. Miss Aaron will do big ideas sometimes. So Aaron, Garrett, Garrett, this one. This one's Garrett, <laughs> that one's Aaron. Okay, so um, today, 
the big idea. Actually, this month, it's all big questions, right? Not big ideas, but big questions. And today's big question is, are all religions true? Yeah, Aaron gave me this one on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so, are all religions true? Well, so, um, let's talk about religion, shall we? So, a religion, uh, there's, there's maybe like five major world religions, right? Um, Christianity is considered one of them. Judaism is considered one of them. Hinduism, Buddhism. Some people consider atheism one. Um, Islam, yes, and Islam's one. So, and, and there's many more. Those are the major ones. But um, sometimes people think of religion as a way to get to God, right? Like, so other religions might have different gods. And have you ever been to um, maybe the Whisk and seen the rock climbing wall? Have you seen that? Or seen a rock climbing wall where you've got to climb to the top and it's a real challenge. It's really hard to get to the top. Sometimes that's what religion is like for, for other religions. It's like you've got to do all these things to get to the God, to get to your God. That, that's what religion is. You've got to follow all these rules and do all these things and pass all these tests and complete the challenge and you get to God, right? Like that's what religion is. Now, I don't think that Christianity is a religion, right? I think that what I see in Christianity is God always trying to get to us, right? God comes to us over and over and over again throughout the story of the Bible, right? And ultimately, he comes to us in Jesus, right? Jesus comes to us, and what does Jesus do for us? He shows us how to live. He shows us what God is like. He shows us how to love like God and be like God. And then he is the ultimate sacrifice for us, right? He goes to the cross for us, and he rises again. Right? And so we can join him in living forever and living like him in the way that he created us to live. So Christianity is a little bit different than most of the other religions. So Paul, you guys know Paul? Paul's a guy, he was a Christian, and he wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And um, in Acts 17, he uh, is in Athens, all right? And in Athens, he's walking around, looking around at the city. Can everybody stand up and do their best statue and press impression please so so imagine we're in Athens and this is where Paul was and like he looks around like see all these statues guys look at all the statues look at kids look at the statues look at this statue right here look at them you see all the statues and so Paul's walking around and sees all these statues and these are statues to the religion that the people in Athens were a part of all right every, all the statues you can have to see so so Paul walks around and sees all these statues because you know Paul worships God but in Athens, their religion has lots of gods. So all of the statues were to a different god. They had a god for the sun, and a god for the moon, and a god for the rain, and a god for the clouds, and a god for the ground, and a god for the grass, and the corn, and the wheat, and the god for everything, right? They had do 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 Like all the statues were all the different gods in Athens, right? And so Paul was looking around at all these gods, and he was studying them and getting and learning about the people of Athens, right? Because he, he was curious. He was learning. He liked to learn. And so he's teaching about God, Paul is, and then the Greeks and the Athens, they hear him teaching about this different God that they haven't heard of. They have so many gods, but they haven't heard of this one because Paul's talking about Jesus. And so they invite Paul to speak in front of them. He's like, they're like, share your ideas with us. Something's different about your God. Let's hear about that. And so he says, he stands up and he says, and it's in Acts 17, uh, verse 23, or verse 22, it says, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely, extremely religious in every respect. 
For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, all the statues, I even saw one that was called to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I will proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in shrines and in statues made by hands. So this God is different, Paul says. So I saw, I saw all your statues, and you even have one to a God, but you don't even know what God it is. It's like, so let me tell you about that God. That's my God. And he's the God of everything. So I don't believe in a lot of gods. I believe in this one God of heaven and earth, all of creation. He created you, and he created me. And he doesn't need a statue because he's not made in our image. We don't build a statue to look like him. He made us in him in his image. So we are the ones that look like God. We're the ones that, sh that have to show people what God is like. And this God came to us in Jesus, and he died and he rose again. And the people in Athens were like, what? Say, what? That's crazy. Yeah. They, they were like, some of them were like, no way, dude. And some were like, that sounds great. I want to do that. Paul, teach me more. So when we meet people from other religions, what Paul did was he learned about them. He listened to them. And he found things in their religion that was kind of like Jesus. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of like Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. So he didn't make fun of them. He didn't tell them they were wrong or argue with them. He learned, he listened, and he loved them by sharing Jesus with them. So that's what we're going to talk about more in Big Idea, okay? We're going to talk about how we can love our neighbors from different religions. So let's pray, and then we'll go downstairs. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. We thank you that you've invited us into this life together. We thank you that you pursued us, that you sent Jesus uh, to be our Lord, our example uh, of how to be the best people we can be. So God, may we learn to love our neighbors well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Head on out that way. I'll follow you. Oh, yes. Teen, well, wait, wait, little ones. Let the teens go first. If you're a teen, middle school, high school, you guys go out to the teen center. <laughs> All right. Oh, Tammy. Okay, good. Good morning, y'all. Oh, come on now. Good morning, y'all. I mean, it's cold in here. I get it. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all not cold. Some of y'all just don't, like, seem cold at all, except for Bill. He's in a, in the, put on his hoodie in the middle of the summer. Um, Bill is the official camera guy, um, as you can see, uh, holding that there. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you doing that, bro. Um, all right, so we're going to, we're going to, okay, we're going to get to Philemon one day. Okay, we will. Uh, we're going to swing back to Philemon, but I want to do a different series right now. Um, for us, given just what God is doing in WCC. So I want to, I want to offer some thoughts and some direction for us uh, to consider what it means for withness to be our witness. And we'll uh, talk about that in just a few moments. Um, so if you have your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 25, if you have your YouVersion app, if you have YouVersion, go to YouVersion, click Events, under events, you know, you should, if you have your location settings on your phone, there should be pins that drop. You'll click Williamsburg Christian Church. You'll open up the notes. You can save that, and you can follow along with me as well. But Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46, we're going to read a lot together. I'm going to try and do double duty. I'm going to try and control the uh, PowerPoint as I read here because there was just way too much 
um, for me to try and uh, just to, like throw at Sherry's feet. So I wanted to, to relieve her of that burden this morning. So Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46. Here's the scene. All right, the scene is toward the latter part of Jesus' ministry, toward the very end. <clears throat> and he's talking about the Son of Man coming back. He's talking about return. And, and Son of Man, real quick, in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew mind, is a royal and powerful image. Okay, are you with me? In the Hebrew mind, Son of Man is a royal and powerful image. It's an image of power. Okay, I don't want you to lose that. Okay, so Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Everybody say throne. See, it's an image of power. All the nations, everybody say all the nations. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. He will separate nations. Separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king, everybody say king. King. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when when, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When when do we see you a stranger and take you in or, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, everybody say least of these. Whatever you did for the least of these. Least of these meaning the kind of the worst of these descriptions. Like the most hungry, the most thirsty, the most imprisoned. Like whatever you did for like the bottom end of even these social descriptions. Whatever you did for the least of these. Brothers and sisters of mine, everybody read with me. You did to me. The word is to me. In the Greek, it's a personal pronoun. It's to me. Some of your translations say for me. It's to me. Which makes sense because Jesus kept talking about him being the one. You with me? Don't lose the to me in this. All right. Then he will say, verse 41, to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are accursed. In the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. And then they'll answer, Lord, when, when do we see you hungry, or thirsty, or... A stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and and not help you. Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, everybody read with me, you did not do to me, they'll go away into eternal punishment for the righteous into eternal life. 
Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack this particular lengthy text. We're going to unpack it in some detail. I'm not going to unpack it in detail today. I'm going to give you a big picture of some things today. And then we're going to fly 30,000 feet in the air, and then we're going to come down over the next several weeks right where the text is so you can see what the text, I think, at least I can share with you what I think the text is saying. Here's where I want to go today. Historians tell us that one of the greatest reasons Christianity flourished in the first few centuries of its existence was not because of their preaching and not because of their music. It wasn't because of their programs and it wasn't because of their buildings. It wasn't even because of their doctrine, as important as that is. Historians tell us that one of the reasons why the early church flourished the way that it did within the first few centuries is because of how they loved the sick, how they loved the poor, how they loved those in need, how they welcomed the stranger, how they loved the foreigners, how they took care of the widows, how they took care of the imprisoned. Matter of fact, so much so, and I've shared this with you before because it's one of my favorite quotes, Aristides, this early Christian convert from Athens, he was a well-respected philosopher in Athens, probably actually heard Paul speak when you think about the timing, um, which I, I just put together because I didn't know that was what the big question was. He became a Christian, and he then took it upon himself to write to the Roman Emperor Hadrian, who was not a Christian, who did not believe that Christianity was a good religion, didn't even believe it to be a religion at all, uh, because I don't believe in one God in three persons rather than multiple gods. And so he wrote to the emperor to try and explain to him that the Christians weren't as crazy as it sounded like with this whole eat the body and drink the blood and all, you know, the stuff that sounds weird. Like he, he was trying to say, look, they're not what you think they are. So he wrote this to them and he said this. He said, Christians love one another. That's his writing. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If a man has something, he gives freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, Christians take him home and are happy. As though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers and sisters in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit of God. And if they hear that one of them is in jail or persecuted for professing the name of their Redeemer, they will give him what he needs. It is possible they bail him out if it's possible. If one of them is poor, listen to this, and there isn't enough food to go around, they all fast for several days to give him the food he needs. Come on now. This is really a new kind of person. There's something divine in them. That was the witness. That kind of solidarity, that kind of empathy, that kind of compassion. As Christians began to serve the hungry, the poor, the sick, outsiders began to take notice, and the gospel spread by fascination like wildfire. The gospel didn't spread by coercion and legislation. The gospel spread by compassion and love. And so Tertullian, who was an African church father in the second century, in one of his writings said, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. He didn't say it's us winning arguments. 
He didn't say it's us drawing lines in the sin of morality and virtue. He didn't say it was us winning a Bible bowl and proving all the other ones wrong. He said, well, branded us in the eyes of our opponents, the one thing they could not refute is that we took love seriously. We needed to give integrity to our confession that Jesus is Lord. That's what branded us. And it was true. Because by the late 4th century, an opponent of Christianity, a guy by the name of Emperor Julian, he was actually known in circles of Emperor Julian the Apostate, which I've always found to be an interesting way to brand a dude, like Julian the Apostate. It's like an old $10 church word. He verbally disciplines his pagan priests for not keeping up with the Christians. He says, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, talk about his pagan priests, the impious Galileans, which was a slanderous term for Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, read this with me, but ours as well. Everyone could see that our people lack aid from us. Come on now. This is the emperor. Everyone looks at his pagan priest and says, we got poor people in our community. We're not getting it done. And the problem is that the Christian sect is, is growing and flourishing because they're not only taking care of their poor, they're taking care of ours. They're making us look bad. Christians weren't persecuted because they were moral people. Christians were persecuted because in the eyes of the emperor, they were bad Romans. They were citizens of a different kingdom. They took love seriously. They took hospitality seriously. Compassion seriously. They took their confession seriously. This was the witness. Now, I could go on listing writings from other church leaders like John Chrysostom in the third century, the monastics in the Middle Ages, Martin Luther in the 16th century, I'm going to quote in a minute. And that'll be the subject of a whole other conversation over the next several weeks. But there's something else, and this is where I wanted to go today. The early church genuinely believed that to embrace those who were considered the last, everybody say the last, the least, the left out, and the lonely. Early church believed that when they embraced the last, the least, the left out, and the lonely, that they weren't just embracing fellow neighbors, they were embracing Christ himself. Are you with me? Come on, you with me? Because what did Jesus say? Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done to what? To me. So for them to love the poor, to enter into solidarity of the helpless, to enter into the solidarity of the displaced, to enter into the solidarity of the oppressed, was to enter into solidarity with Christ himself. To welcome the stranger was to welcome Jesus. To welcome the foreigner was to welcome Jesus. To welcome the hungry was to welcome Jesus. To welcome the thirsty was to welcome Jesus. To welcome the oppressed was to welcome Jesus. Because they believed that if Christ couldn't be found anywhere in the world, if he was lost in your room and he was lost in a church building, if Christ wasn't found anywhere, they believed with everything in them based on what Jesus taught in Matthew 25 that Christ can always be found with the marginalized, that Christ can always be found with the last, the least, the left out, and the lonely, that Christ can always be found in the company of the poor. And they knew that if we want to be with Christ, sure, we may find him in a song, we may find him in a sermon, we may find him in a small group, but if we really want to be with Jesus, we'll find him in the margins. 
We'll find them in the life of the poor. We'll find them in the life of the displaced, the abandoned, the abused, the wearied and depressed down. Jesus isn't always going to be found in the places of privilege because the privileged folk don't need Jesus. It'll always be found where the brokenness is found. And if the people of God who believe that to be true enter into those spaces, those people of God who claim to be the ones who confessed that Jesus is the reigning Lord, they will be able to say, Christ is here. Christ is with you. Now, I want to drive this home a lot more Mostly because I got more notes. <laughs> Come on now. But there's something else. In the second century, Ignatius of Antioch characterized heretics. Heretics. People who were anti-Christ. That's what heretic essentially means. This is how he characterized heretics. As having no regard for love, no care for the widow or the orphan, or the oppressed, of the bond, or of the free, of the hungry, or of the thirsty. That is how this profound early church leader, you just have to know how big a deal he was, characterized what a heretic was. That a heretic wasn't somebody who believed the wrong things. The heretic is someone who believed the right things and didn't live the right way of neighborly and enemy love. So that's a whole different reframing of how we talk about heretic in this country. There's this late 1st or 2nd century writing called the Didache. It was a writing that the early church leaders put together. It's anonymous that helped churches establish themselves. Remember when the church was founded, they didn't have Bibles and they didn't have orders. And they didn't know how to, like, quote, do church. Y'all know that the, the word for church is ecclesia, right? In the Greek, it's the word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Okay, that's a political word. That word was applied in political context in Greco and Roman politics, and it was meant to describe the people of the citizenry, the citizens who get together to talk about civil life. You with me? So ecclesia means citizens who get together to talk about civics. All right, that's the word that Paul uses for church. I just want to throw that out there. Heretics weren't people who just believed the wrong things and did the wrong things, and the church didn't just know what to do. So they wrote this document called the Didache, which helped understand like the liturgy of the church. And here's one of the things the Didache says to the Christians. Share everything with your brother. Do not say, come on, say it with me. It is private property. Oh, my goodness. If you share what is everlasting, come on now, everlasting. Everybody say everlasting. You should be that much more willing to share things which do not last. Come on, now, DDK. I don't know who DDK is. That's the logic. The logic at work in the, in, the, in the imagination of the Christian was, you have Jesus. You have eternal life. You have an inheritance that awaits for you. You can share a dollar. You can share a car. You can share a room. You can share your yard. You can share your time, your talent, your treasure. You may be like, oh, I ain't got any time. You're going to have eternal time. So find some time now. This was a whole different way of thinking. So when 
That first writing I read said, this is a new kind of person. This is what made the early church so unique. This is what made them peculiar, weird, strange. Irenaeus was a second century church leader in Turkey. This is what he wrote. Instead of the tithes which the law commanded, the Lord said to divide everything we have, everybody say it with me, with the poor. And he said to love not only our neighbors, everybody with me, but also our enemies. And to be givers and sharers, not only with the good, but also to be, uh-oh, liberal givers toward those who take away our possessions. Y'all, this is our story. This is our ancestry. These are our Christian descendants. This is the story from which we have been formed by. When we say Jesus is Lord, this is the story we're embracing as our own. I got more. Ambrosia of Milan. About AD 340-397 said this. He's a 4th century church leader. You are not making a gift of your possession to the poor person. You are handing over to him what is his. Oh, now. Ambrosia Milan trying to pick a fight. What you mean it's mine, yo? It's mine. He said, no. You got Jesus. Stuff you own, that's theirs. But for any of this to happen, we have to be with. Everybody say with. We have to be with. The withness of the church becomes the witness of the kingdom. We have to go. We have to welcome. We have to scatter, not just gather. We have to be about the Father's business on a Monday, not just wait for Sunday. We have to press in to love of God and love of neighbor now. When we come to this table so that come Monday we can love God and love our neighbor and love our enemies well. We need to give of our tithes and offerings to remember that we have a God who provides so that the church as a church can provide for those who do not have so that we also could be more generous on a Tuesday afternoon. Christians want to be pro-life. This is what pro-life looks like. Anything else is Babylonian rhetoric. Martin Luther, this reformer of the 16th century, capturing the heart of Matthew 25, said that the poor are living images of God. The early church believed with all of its heart that to welcome the broken and the oppressed, the displaced, the abandoned, the unwanted, the disposable of society was to welcome Christ himself. And they also believed that to turn them away was to turn Christ away himself. That's what they believed. So when Christians get caught up in arguments of how to love the poor, the broken, the immigrant, the neighbor, the widow, the orphan, all these different things, and we turn these neighbors away, we're turning Jesus away. That's the irony of the church getting caught up in the arguments is we're arguing ultimately about whether we're going to welcome Jesus. 
And then we wonder why there's no blessing. Why there's no beauty and no goodness. No healing. Because we pushed away the one who heals. Because of our own harm or hurt or hate. And it's a tragedy. Many admirers of Teresa of Calcutta, you might know her as Mother Teresa, would always ask her, how can you keep serving the poor, the sick, and the dying with such vigor? What's the secret? How do you do it? Here's her answer. She said, whenever I meet someone in need, it's really Jesus in his most distressing disguise. Matthew 25 was taken literally by the early church. To love the least of these was to love Christ himself. To give or serve the least of these was to give or serve Christ himself. It's like the old Jesuit sayings uh, with see Jesus standing in the lowly places. Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, read it with me, you've done to me. So beloved, here's where this series is going to go. I want to challenge us to learn to see differently. Everybody say see differently. I just want to ask WCC to see differently. I can't do anything about all the other churches. We can't do anything about the churches over in Kalamazoo, Mississippi. I don't even know if that's a thing. We can't do anything about all the other places. can't do anything really about how Capitol Hill sees anything and how leaders see. But we can do something about how we see people. And over the next several weeks, I want to ask us. I want to all but beg us to see differently. I want us to learn to see Christ. In the displaced, in the disposable, in the broken, in the pressed down, in the poor, in the needy, in the unwanted, and the unwelcomed. I want to learn to see Christ in the pressed down, the marginalized. And if you want to know where Christ can be found, and then you go to the margins and learn to see Jesus there. Christ is always present with the last least left out and lonely. I got to tell you, as someone who's walked with people out of homelessness for about 22 years of my life, I have tell you, I have found more Jesus in the streets and the alleyways and the tent cities than I have in church buildings. I have found more Jesus sharing a meal with a neighbor in the middle of the woods sitting on a cooler than I have sometimes sharing a, church, sharing a meal with a church in a, quote, fellowship hall. There are times when I know I needed to feel the presence of God in my life and I couldn't get him from a song or a sermon, so I went to my neighbor who had lived through social displacement and found Jesus. I'm telling you, that's my experience. And why is that the case? Because it's what Jesus said would happen. Is it hard? Yes. Is it heavy? Yes. Is it costly? Yes. But tell me what doesn't look more like Jesus than sacrifice and self-giving love. Tell me what doesn't look more like Jesus than being willing to press in by giving of myself. What makes us more like Jesus when we share in the sufferings of Christ is when we're willing to lose everything we're trying to hold on to for the good of a neighbor. Even if it means we lose some friends and some family members because we come off like some radicals. There's an old proverb, Proverb 19.17. When we do a 3E restoration training, we ask every person who gets trained in 3E to memorize this. So I'm going to try and get it today since we already know some things by heart. Let's see if we can get this. Everybody repeat after me. Kindness to the poor, to the poor is a loan to the, Lord, loan to the Lord, and he will reward the lender. Reward. Say it again. Kindness to the poor, to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will reward the lender. So when you give to that brother flying a sign on the corner of Chick-fil-A, you may think you're giving to him, but you're giving to who? You're giving to the Lord. 
So then what do you got to think through? What's he going to do with my money? It's not your problem. Because what, what did they say? Your money is actually not your what? <laughs> not my money. Do good, do love, do justice, do kindness, good compassion, trust God with the consequences. It's a lot easier when we're not managing things. And we're just doing because it's right. Love does what is right, not what is easy. Love does what is hard, not what is manageable. Love does the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was sick. You took care of me. I was in prison. I was in prison and you visited me. Here's that verse. As we learn to see the withness of Christ in the last, least, left out, and lonely, we will become faithful witnesses of Christ's presence in the world. I'll say that again. As we learn to see the withness of Christ in the last, least, left out, and lonely, we become faithful witnesses of Christ's presence. Beloved, I'm saying this because Christ is found there. And we all want to know the presence of Christ. And what Christians will sometimes do is think we can pray harder, study more Bible, sing more songs, and even just give more money. But we find the fullness of the presence of Christ when we go be with the least, last, left out, and lonely in our society. That is where the presence of Christ is found. In a particular, mysterious, kind of beautiful, kind of transformative way. Christ is found near the brokenhearted. Because when hearts are broken, all we have is Jesus. This church grew not because of good preaching and good music. This church found new life not because it had fancy facilities and great programs. This church found new life many years ago because we welcomed a family living through homelessness into our life and they welcomed us into theirs. And then people outside of this church caught wind of what this church was doing and wanted to get in on it. And then out of that has birthed movements of things. And you know this. We told this story. But it wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the leadership. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the facility. It was the faithfulness of every single one of you who decided that no matter what the consequence no matter how impossible it seemed, we were actually going to follow Jesus into the margins and be with the neighbors who needed to know that Christ was with them. That's why we are where we are and who we are. It's because of the faithfulness of a few who took Jesus seriously enough to follow. Because here's the hard part of this whole statement. To see Christ in the last, least, left out, and lonely, and to welcome and serve them, may be to welcome and serve Christ himself. But it's also true, to see Christ in the last, last, least, left out, and lonely, and not welcome them, is to not welcome Christ himself. That is why, for the life of me, I can't understand why Christians, I just can't understand why Christians argue about this stuff. Like, there's a lot of stuff we can't figure out, baptism, Women's roles, men's roles, leaderships, church polities, music, things we argue about all the time, 
all kinds of fancy doctrines. But the one thing we shouldn't have to argue about is whether or not we should love the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, or the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the broken, the oppressed. Like, like how are we arguing over that? That's the one thing that we can walk away knowing that we know that we know that we know. Why? Because Christ welcomes us. So don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in the arguments. Because at the end of the day, whoever oppresses a poor man insults what? His maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. When we insult the immigrant, the foreigner, the poor, the historically marginalized voices and bodies of this society, when we, when we insult these neighbors, we're insulting Jesus. Don't insult Jesus, beloved. Choose to love him instead. Here's the last verse I want to share, and I'm done. It's from Jeremiah, because I want you to see that this whole idea, and we're going to look at this over the next several weeks, is not just a New Testament idea, and it's not just an early church idea. This is grounded in the Hebrew story in the Hebrew scriptures that the prophets led. This is what it says. This is Jeremiah, by the way. Jeremiah chapter 22. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor. Everybody say, rescue from the hand of his oppressor. That's some active stuff. Who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner. Come on now. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself. <laughs> I've always thought that funny. When God swears to God and he's like, I swear by myself. that <laughs> Only God can do that. I swear by myself that this palace will become a ruin. People from many nations will pass by this city and will ask one another, why has the Lord done such a, th such a thing to this city? And the answer will be because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and have worshipped and served other gods. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, which is another word for injustice. His upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing. Come on, God has something to say about economics, y'all. God has something to say about politics. God has something to say about how business practices are conducted. Look, woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing. Woe to him for not paying them for their labor. Woe. You know what woe means? Woe doesn't mean slow down. Woe in the biblical tradition means cursed. Cursed are them. Under curse they are. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? You know the prophets are a little snarky, right? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Come on now, say it again. Is that not what it means to know me? Lord, what does it mean to know you? That's what the worshipers, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to know you, Lord. What does it mean to know you? He says to do justice. To share with the poor. 
to be content with what you have, to be generous, to defend the defenseless, to rescue the oppressed. Verse 17, but your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, shedding innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. I probably should have ended with that verse. Probably should have ended with the other one. Right? Like, you're like, give us more. But this is the bent. The bent toward humanity is sometimes the opposite of the bent toward Jesus. But we have the Spirit of God. Say, I have the Spirit of God. Say, I have the Spirit of God. These words, be, albeit they're directly to kings of Judah, they, they apply to those who followed covenant. So here's how this works out, and then I'm down, I'll be done. So years ago, when Ian was about six, we were in Baltimore at a, an Orioles game. Was he six or eight, Allison? Do you remember? He was little. Yeah, maybe six, eight. I don't know. He was little. Now, I had gotten a little, I had gotten smart about some things. Like, I'd become smart about sociology and how poverty works and all the different things because, you know, I know things, right? Like, that's what I thought. And so I decided with, with Ian that we, weren't, we were no longer going to give to, um, we were no longer going to give to people who were flying signs on the street. We were no longer going to give to panhandlers because I had sociological reasons, right? Like, why this wasn't healthy and why this was not good for the society and for other people living through homelessness. Like, I had all kinds of good reasons. And so there was a person who was homeless, like on a corner as we were waiting across the street to go to Baltimore. And Ian says, hey, Daddy, I think he's homeless. If you got some money, we got some money to give him some money. And I was like, oh, silly child. I said, buddy, I know that we've always done this, but, you know, I've, I've learned some things. And I've just decided that I think it's wise because, you know, I started a nonprofit. You know that, but, like, I'm giving my son my receipts, right? Like, you know I'm smart, right? I said, so we've just decided we're going to do, we're not going to do that anymore because of these reasons. So my six to eight-year-old looks at me straight up, straight up, no exaggeration whatsoever. He says, aren't you a Christian? I was like, go to your room. I was like, but we're in Baltimore. And I said, yeah, hold on. He wasn't done Jesus juking me yet. He said, and aren't you a pastor? Right. He didn't ask me what degrees I had, how many books I read. For Ian, it was real simple. Like, aren't you a Christian? So we get a man at 20. Like, I felt guilty. I went better than a five. Like, because that's how obvious I think it ought to be for all of us. And the thing is, I'm still growing too. But here's what I believe. A community which embodies this kind of faithful presence, what I'm calling a withness as witness, contradicts the systems of coercion and exclusion that tell us who's valuable and invaluable, significant and insignificant, worthy and unworthy. This kind of community that follows through to this kind of faithful presence becomes a sign of hope that proves that self-giving love is possible. A commitment to this kind of withness as witness of seeing Christ in the last least left out and lonely offers us a new imagination, one that affirms our common humanity with others and the shared struggle that we all have. And we commit to no longer viewing neighbors as projects to fix, problems to solve, or prospects to save, rather persons to be embraced just as they are, not as they should be, because after all, that is what God has done for us. And so here's where it is. I have a letter 
that I want to send out to us later this afternoon. But I want to read the letter, and then I will be done. It's entitled, A Pastoral and Word of Encouragement. And then I asked you to read it because I know it's long. WCC family, I posted this quote by author and pastor Tony Scarcello on Facebook. He said this, Oftentimes American Christians aren't being persecuted for loving Jesus. We're being held accountable for not acting like him. This quote sent me down a rabbit trail of reading about actually persecuted Christians, which led me to 50 different countries, from Afghanistan to China to Ethiopia. It also reminded me of how pastors often stoke the fires of fear and anxiety with an us-versus-them culture war mentality. So here's why I'm emailing us. I'm thankful for you, WCC. You take following Jesus seriously. I know we aren't perfect, far from it, but we are learning to follow Jesus we know whose we are, and that helps us reimagine who we are. We have Christ. We have God. Christ has us. God has us. We have resurrection, our inheritance. Therefore, we can live out our divine assignment with full-on faithfulness, albeit imperfect, but ever so boldly. So let's talk about this idea of pro-life. We are pro-life, meaning we are for the things that make life possible. The biblical tradition calls this shalom, often translated peace, meaning human flourishing. It is what led our Lord to say to us, I have come that you can have life and life to the full. We've received this abundant life and are summoned to both exemplify and work toward this life by the power of God's Spirit so others may see what Jesus has done and is doing in and among us. Our brothers and sisters all over, even here, are talking big talk about pro-life. Some are waging culture wars, fighting, yelling, and screaming with all sorts of antagonism. We, WCC, have a chance to do something and do so quietly, deliberately, and purposefully. We have a chance to do what we believe and practice what we preach. So here's what I mean. Supporting our WCC families who are adopting children, this is pro-life. Welcoming this Afghan family who served our military personnel and was promised safety to our nation, this is pro-life. Caring for orphans in Kenya and Nicaragua, this is pro-life. Supporting 3E Restoration who partners with us in these local missions as we work with them to house and help socially displaced neighbors, this is pro-life. The Batu give one away for Pineapple Inn and our beloved Lawanga family who live with these various disabilities so they can have hygiene products, this is is pro-life. Eating breakfast with our beloved Lawanga neighbors beginning in August to be present with them and to demonstrate our love for them, to find Christ with them. This is pro-life. Supporting our single moms and dads. This is pro-life. Supporting our widowed members. This is pro-life. Supporting our neurodiverse children and adults. This is pro-life. Speaking into and embodying peacemaking in a culture of violence. This is pro-life. Doing racial justice or justice on all sorts of social levels. This is pro-life. In addition to the refugee family and all I've listed here, here is a concrete opportunity to be pro-life. I received a word from Randall and Kelly Nichols, two beautiful Christ followers who've been connecting with us online and who founded and lead Echo Family Care. And this is the message that I received from them as they received it from a local caseworker with social services. And I quote, 
My client is pregnant and has three children under 12. Recently, her apartment complex decided to renovate and kick everyone out. She couldn't find a place to live, so she got into a shelter for a month or so, and then her next housing fell through, and she lost her spot at that shelter. She's currently having her three kids sleep on a relative's floor of their one bedroom or in the car as the place has bed bugs and no AC. She's in desperate need and temporary permanent housing. She's at risk of losing her Section 8 or her housing voucher if she can't find a job. In a matter of weeks, she's gone from stable living to now imminent risk of losing all her children without immediate external interventions. I've contacted 3E to help, and they're going to do what they do best. And here's what I've said to us in this letter. We're also going to coordinate with Literacy for Life, but here's, here's what I said. WCC, we have never been a church of abundant financial means, but God has always provided for us. We've never been without. Can we be the answer to the single mother's prayers and provide? Sunday, we'll take up an offering for this, this place homeless mother of three sons and soon to be four. Or three children and soon to be four. Keep in mind that at some point soon we'll need to take up an offering for the Afghan family to home. More importantly, we'll have a chance to be with them and serve them as the hands and feet of Jesus. Money is tight for all of us, especially right now. I get it. I work two jobs myself to make ends meet, as Allison works too. Times are challenging. Frankly, money is even tight for us as a church family. But God owns cattle on the land of a thousand hills. If you and I agree to give something, no matter how large or small, and do so to the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors, when added together, it will become a great amount. Let's do this, family. Let's be pro-life. Let's be a people of shalom. Let's be a people of love. In the words of my son, let's be Christians. If you want to give to this family, you can take an envelope and you can write simply for this family. And you can give in addition to your tithes and offerings. And why do I say in addition to your tithes and offerings? Because we do this stuff all the time as a church. We just don't always have to bring it to you. So we still need the tithes and offerings because this is the work that God does through the church. But this particular mama is going to need a lot more help. We're also going to have this Afghan family coming, and that's going to require something of us. And not just money, but time and talent and treasure. I'm grateful for the people who showed up this morning for the meeting. Church, this is what it means to be with Christ. Let's do that. Let's be for the things that make life possible for all people. Because that is our story. And when we do, when we do, we will find the presence of Christ thick around us and within us. Because Christ is present with the brokenhearted. And when we go near the brokenhearted, we find the reality of the present Christ. So let's be that people. So for the next two weeks, be prayerful about what you can do and how you can serve this mother and three children and one-to-be. Please be prayerful about how you can serve this family that's going to come to us from Afghanistan. 
Please be prayerful about how you can engage in the life of this church beyond a Sunday morning into the common life of this church in every way that you can to be a part of the story that God is writing. Because every week when we come together, this is what we proclaim, Jason. We proclaim that Christ has come. And that Christ who has come is coming again. We proclaim that Christ is with us and that Christ is with those that society would rather not have in their lives. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that the God of heaven and earth has more than enough. We proclaim what Jesus said in John 10. I have come so that you may have life and what? Life to the full. A full kind of life. So beloved, please welcome you to come to the table. Can I have somebody else come and put on these gloves and serve with Jason? I have to, I have to play guitar. Thanks. Beloved, come to the table. There's a chair that waits for you And a friend who understands Everything you're going through But you keep standing at a distance In the shadow of your shame There's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place And bring it all to the table There's nothing can see the weight you carry and the fears that hold your heart but through the cross you've been forgiven you're accepted as you Nothing he ain't seen before 
trials, all your worries and your burdens. There's a Savior and He calls. Bring it all to the table. Bring it all. Bring it we bring it all to the table because you've given us all. You've given us the body and the blood of Christ. You've given us your life. You submitted yourself to the worst this world had to offer and the violence and the betrayal and the abandonment and the traumas of the reign of sin and death. And you placed yourself in submission to that to overcome it through the blood and the body of Christ, to overcome it through the resurrection, to show us that not even those injustices and harms and traumas and violence and oppressions will have the final word. And so as your redeemed and being redeemed people, we come to the table with open hands and an open heart, and we give you thanks. Thank you for this body that is this bread that is the body of Christ, for this cup that is the blood of Christ, thank you for the life of Christ that has become our life. Bless us as we receive this, Father, and may we take this with us. May this table extend into the highways and the byways and the hotels and the cars and the streets and the hard things and the broken things. May this table extend and may we go with you into those places to be a blessing to others as you have been a blessing to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. So, beloved, we, every time we gather, we do have this doxology. We have this offering liturgy where we remember... Uh, the truth of God's generosity and provision and presence. And this is why I'm so grateful for you that I can stand here with you on a Sunday and call us to this most basic yet profound commitment of our faith because we trust in a God who provides. So church, our offering liturgy, if you haven't had a chance to give your tithes and offerings, you could do so in the corners or through a whole different way, uh, text to give, automatic draft, whatever works for you. 
Um, but whatever you do, give to the Lord, trust the Lord. Let us say this together. You are, you are Yahweh, Yahweh Yireh, God, God who provides. provides. In, In truth, truth, we have nothing but you, nothing that we might call our own. So let that good confession compel a better stewardship, open hands, a joyful heart, and a generous life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You know, I'll be seated for a moment. <laughs> hey, I want to turn your attention to some slides up here. We're going to do something a little different because I want to make sure you catch these. Um, Sherry's going to find them. Yep. So I want to encourage you to save today. Now, almost all of this is in your worship guide. But please, be with me just for a couple more minutes so we can go through this. First slide. So brunch with God's beloved is going to start uh, in August. This is where we're going to eat brunch with our beloved Luanga family. And we're going to eat with them from about 10 to 12. If you can take time off of work to come be with us, even for 30 minutes during that time, maybe take an early lunch. Please come. We're just going to have a good brunch and be together. And we're finding out some games they like to play so we can play some games together. And just be with them. Be with them as Christ is with them. And together be with Christ. So here's opportunity number one. A lot of times people are like, give me something practical. Well, practical step number one. Come and try to be a part of this. Especially if you have a chance, please. Uh, second Sunday, uh, the, the Monday in, in, in August. Um, next, our Wilder Minds reading cohort. Um, this book, Attached to God... Um, is a book on something called attachment theory. It's a really good book on why it is sometimes our relationship with God doesn't feel so connected. Um, so it's a book written by a licensed professional counselor who's happened to be a theologian. It's the book we're reading right now. The book discussion is July 31st. It's not too late. If you can't read the whole book in a month, don't worry about it. Start reading it now. Come to the discussion. I think Crispin's going to be with us that night um, by way of Zoom. So come and be a part of that. Next. Christ and country, this is something new. Uh, Christ and country is something that's going to happen August 13th from 9 to 5 at CW. We're going to take a tour of CW and reflect on our nation's history through the story of Christ as King. We have some guest facilitators that are going to be with us. Uh, hopefully our own Laura Hill, Johnny Graham, Aaron um, Griffith is going to be with us. And we're going we're to reflect purposely uh, on our nation's history through the story of Christ. This is open for everybody. We're principally doing this for middle and high school students, but this is open for anyone who wants to come and be a part of that. It's 9 to 5. It'll be a good and meaningful day. Um, so if you haven't come to CW in a while, this is a good chance to come. Next. Finally, we have our film coming up, History Half Told is Untold, but let the Freedom uh, uh, Ring Foundation. Um, it's, a, it's a film about the story of First Baptist here in Williamsburg, historic First Baptist in Williamsburg. It's a beautiful film. It's an hour long, but they'll be here for some discussion. It's August 14th, Sunday night. So Saturday, Christ and Country during the day, Sunday night, um, this beautiful film. All right, that's all for the slides. Two more things. So look around, and you can see that we're a little fuller than what we would normally be on summer. Now, we have plenty of room here, and that's fine. But last week, we had standing room only. 
And it's just getting to that point where, I mean, we're, I don't know why, but we're staying put. Well, in other words, one gathering's not going to cut it. Uh, so we're going to go back to two gatherings starting next week so that there's more space, so that as the COVID numbers rise, there's more comfort because I know some of you have struggled with the, with the crowds right now with everything going on. We know we've had some of that sickness happening in WCC. But we're going to go back to two, ga two gatherings and just find our rhythm again and just be in our rhythm and finish strong. All Kids Connect things will happen. Um, everything will move forward. Uh, so we're going to press on. In terms of the outdoor gathering, we're going to put a pause on that until it gets cooler um, because we had a couple of you, you know, have some problems and some struggles with the heat. Uh, and so we're committed to these outdoor gatherings. We are committed to them because they're life-giving and beautiful. Um, but we can also be committed and wait till the weather cools down a little bit more. Um, so we will, we will do that as well. So those are the announcements. There's plenty in your worship guide. Uh, so please take that home with you. And then finally, we're going to close with uh, our prayers of the people. Um, so we're going to ask Catherine to come and lead us in this prayer. This is the prayer that we prayed on Refugee Day that we just allowed to be our prayers of the people. If you have any questions about anything I said today, please let me know. If you want my manuscript with all the quotes and the sources, please let me know. If you want to talk more about that family, please let me know. If you want to talk about the Afghan family that's coming, please let Bob and Catherine know. If you have something that you need to complain about, please let John know. All right. Yeah, and beloved, you know, for those, for those <laughs> beloved folks out there on uh, the live stream that is really, really jumpy this morning, um, we will take the video that you saw from the live stream, match it up to the audio we recorded from the room, and we will put that out again in a little bit. We'll send it out to everybody. And do two somersaults and three cartwheels because that's how much work this stuff requires. So church, let's all stand. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Remind us of who we are, once displaced by our sin, but now welcomed into your life, where we have found a true home. Lord, help me remember. Remind us of who we are, once strangers. Now you have adopted us into your royal family and called us your children. Lord, help us remember. Lord, help me see. Help us see them leaving their homes and all they have known because of the suffering and violence that pursues them. Lord, help us see. Help us see them as forcibly displaced, where once citizens of their own homeland, they are now global immigrants and strangers seeking refuge. Lord, help us see. Lord, help us see, so that our seeing will lead to doing. As you guided your people of old by a pillar cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God, lead your people of today who cry out to you, El Roi, the God who sees. Be for them what you have always been, a father to orphans, liberator of the oppressed, redeemer of widows, and homemaker for the displaced. Lord, teach us, convict us, and lead us that we may join you in the seeing 
Join you in the provision. Join you in the liberation. Join you in the redemption. And join you in the homemaking. Amen. Amen. Beloved, if you want to receive prayer at the end of this gathering, please do so. You'll be received here at the front. We pray one last prayer. Lord, you taught us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Teach us how to exchange the burdens we carry for yours. Lord, you taught us to bear one another's burdens. Show us how to bear these burdens faithfully. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear the prayers of those who will come before you. In the name of Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Beloved, learn to see Christ in our neighbors. We are dismissed. Well, I'll have to listen to it.